listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, that was a really slow news week in Ottawa, eh? <laughs> Hardly. Ezra Levant will offer his insight into the ongoing dumpster fire that is the SNC-Lavalin scandal. And we recently filed an access to information request regarding vetting policies and procedures pertaining to Syrian refugees coming into Canada. Prepare to be shocked, folks. Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the disturbing details. So a guy publishes a 12-point checklist pertaining to those attributes that make women attractive, and the usual suspects lose their collective minds. Martina Marcota has all the nitty-gritty on this one. And finally, letters, we get your letters, we get them every minute of every day, and I'll share some of your responses to my commentary regarding adorable Amy, the Alberta-born ISIS bride, who is now stuck in a Syrian refugee camp. And get this, even though Canada is still infested with infidels, Amy now wants to come back home. Don't want to be harsh here, but <laughs> oh, boo friggin' who. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. Today, Jody Wilson-Raybould testified before Parliament about Justin Trudeau, Gerald Butts, and the rest of the Prime Minister's office, and others in the Liberal inner circle, other cabinet ministers, and even the head of the supposedly nonpartisan civil service, the clerk of the Privy Council, Michael Wernick, how all of these people and others conspired to pressure her to drop criminal charges against a corrupt, a corrupt company called SNC-Lavalin. That's a Quebec-based engineering firm that was caught paying $48 million in illegal bribes in Libya. They were prosecuted for those crimes of corruption in Canada, but because they're a Quebec company and Trudeau is a Quebec prime minister, well, Lebrano's instinct came out, and so the Montreal Liberals, including Trudeau and Butts, well, they went to work on Jody Wilson-Raybould, the first Aboriginal woman justice minister in Canadian history, they met with her, they pestered her, they pressed her a dozen times, and she refused to bend. So they broke her, they fired her. Now, until now, it was just reports in the newspapers. The Globe and Mail reported some of this a few weeks ago, but it was mainly anonymous sources. Wilson Raybould herself hired a former Supreme Court judge as her lawyer to make sure she complied with her obligations as a former cabinet minister and justice minister in terms of confidentiality and solicitor-client privilege, as in she couldn't say things publicly, so she didn't. But today, she negotiated her appearance at a parliamentary committee, and Trudeau actually, under pressure, agreed to waive at least some of his solicitor-client privilege over her to allow her to talk at least somewhat about it, and oh my God, she did. When Jody Wilson-Raybould recently testified against the likes of Justin Trudeau, Gerald Butts, and even the Privy Council clerk, it was nothing short of astonishing. In essence, the ex-Attorney General noted how she endured political pressure and outright intimidation by senior Liberals, all in a futile effort to have her turn a blind eye to the <laughs> rule of law. After all, going easy on SNC-Lavalin would bolster the company's, Quebec, uh, the, the company's fortunes in Quebec, and by extension, this would also bolster the fortunes of the Trudeau Liberals in Quebec, especially during an election year. 
Yet, much to his chagrin, Justin Trudeau discovered that Jody Wilson-Raybould is no stooge, but rather somebody who embodies integrity. And with more on this scintillating scandal is Rebel Commander Ezra Levant. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Ezra. Well, thanks very much. Uh, Ezra, so many angles, um, but I think uh, one of the most astonishing um, uh, sidebars of this was that along the lines, um, uh, and this is being tweeted out by some people, that there was an assurance to Miss um, Wilson-Raybould that if things get a little, um, go off the rails, we can go out and get some op-ed pieces done and um, spin this a certain way. I mean, that's just one thing. I mean, there's so many angles to this. I guess what I'm asking you right now, Ezra, is that of all the bombshells that were dropped two days ago, which was the one that had your jaw right on the linoleum? Sure. Well, to answer your question, um, when Jody Wilson-Raybould specifically said that Gerald Butts, right-hand man to Justin Trudeau, friend since college, principal secretary, basically Trudeau's brain, yep. said to the Attorney General, there is no solution here that doesn't involve interference. Mm. Well, I'm sorry, that right there is an admission that you violated Section 139.2 of the Criminal Code, obstruction of justice. It says any interfering, in quote, in any manner, that's the crime. It's a crime punishable by up to 10 years in prison. And if Butts genuinely said that, that's a go-to-jail move. I want to make one small disagreement with your characterization of the planting op-eds in the newspaper's comment. That was made by Katie Telford, uh, Trudeau's chief of staff. And it wasn't if things go sideways. It was if you do what we say. Yes. So they were pressuring Jody Wilson-Raybould to let a criminal company off the hook. Just for background, SNC-Lavalin does not dispute that it paid $48 million in bribes, does not dispute that the Qaddafis looted the Libyan people of hundreds of millions, does not dispute that they spent 30 grand on hookers for Qaddafi's son in Montreal. SNC-Lavalin does not dispute this. Yeah. So the question is, uh, will they be prosecuted like you or I would be prosecuted? Justin Trudeau, Katie Telford, Gerald Butts, the whole Montreal mafia were trying to get and when I say mafia, I mean political mafia. Yeah. We're trying to get Jody Wilson-Raybould to let SNC-Lavalin off the hook. To, sort of like Tony Soprano calling up a prosecutor and saying, hey, you know, it's good for you. Let this guy walk. <laughs> so Jody Wilson-Raybould was saying no. So what Katie Telford was saying is, if you do the wrong thing, we'll get a bunch of people to say it's okay. So not if this goes sideways. If this, go the way, if this goes the way we're telling you to make it go, if you drop the case... Everyone's going to say, oh, my God, that's so corrupt. Don't worry, Jody. We got a bunch of people in our Rolodex who absolutely will say you're doing the right thing. So th there's a whole bunch of layers there. First of all, yeah, we know it's wrong, but that's not what counts. What counts is can we get people to say it's right? And number two, we control enough of the media we can guarantee this. And, and Ezra, what I found astonishing when it comes to Gerald Butts, allegedly, he was of the uh, he had made a statement along the lines that he didn't care for the law, he didn't like the law the way it's written. But the role of an attorney general is not to say, yeah, thumbs up on that law, thumbs up. It's it's to enforce the law. You, you, it doesn't matter whether someone disagrees or dislikes a law. Well, <clears throat> that law was brought in. Uh, under Stephen Harper, specifically yes. to guard against corruption. Yes. Setting up the director of public prosecutions, having these rules in place was exactly to get away from politicizing who's prosecuted and who's not. 
So it's no surprise that the Lebranos would <laughs> chafe against that. But it's obvious that the law is the law, whether or not you like it, agree with it, agree with who passed it. By the way, Stephen Harper, as a man, as a prime minister, does not have power to pass a law. Only Parliament does. The House of Commons, the Senate, the Lieutenant, uh, sorry, the Governor General, that's how a law is passed. Mm -hmm. So although Stephen Harper may have led that process, it was a proper legislative process under our Constitution. You can't just say, oh, that's a Harper law. I don't like that. That's a Trudeau <laughs> law. I like that. That's a Martin law. I, I don't like that. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. They're all laws of, they're all Queen Elizabeth's laws, Yes. actually. If you, um, that, that's how they all start. Uh, the, the, the Queen herself, through her agent, the Governor General, proclaims them. It's the Queen's law. Yeah. yeah. That's the point. Yeah. And what's so interesting, is Jody Wilson-Raybould an Aboriginal woman who came up through Aboriginal politics, through learned the law, understood the law, loved the law, and abided by the law in a way that this fancy pants son of privilege, Justin Trudeau, did not. He's the son of a prime minister. She is the son of an Aboriginal activist. And who loved the law more? And who loved our tradition and our constitution and the rule of law more? She did. And, and you know, what's fascinating about that, Ezra, is what do you think this has done to the brand of Trudeau and the brand of the Trudeau liberals? Remember, this is a guy who identified as a feminist. This is someone who said back in 2015, one of his key uh, uh, issues moving forward was reconciliation, you know, native issues. And suddenly, what we're seeing is not sunny ways, but um, sliminess and corruption. Oh, yeah, one of the worst moments, I mean, Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony was amazing, and I would recommend to anyone who hasn't watched it yet, it is watch amazing. the whole thing. Yeah. And what I did uh, on my show the other day is I just ran the whole half hour or so testimony, and I just sort of interrupted every five minutes with a little bit of a commentary or an explanation. It's a 75-minute video. Yeah. But she, she's a human highlight reel on that. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> yes. Meticulous names, dates, places, yes. wit, listing witnesses, listing who was there. List, like, it was meticulous. And remember, she has been consulting with a lawyer, Thomas Cromwell, who just happens to be former Supreme Court of Canada yeah. Justice. Wow. So this is, I mean, she's a, a, a real straight arrow, due diligence, careful type. And she's got a Supreme Court judge retired helping her out. So this was meticulous. And it was like she was a prosecutor putting a case to a jury. And it landed with a thunderstrike because there was no vagueness. There was no maybe or I can't remember. It was dates, time, places, exactly in order. This happened. And the thing is, when you're in government, especially in the Justice Department, everything is papered. Everything's on paper. There's a record of everything. Yeah. Um, your diary, your calendar, your memos, your emails, your phone calls, everything's logged and documented. I mean, it's the government, everything's in quadruplicate, you know. Um, so the idea that she would lie about a meeting or like, it, it's impossible. And we know that these meetings happen because for example, she referred to Bill Morneau, the finance minister and his chief of staff, Ben Chin, being uh, involved in the SNC lobbying. We know that this is true because SNC, Lavalin repeatedly lobbied these people. It's, it's already on the record. Yes. So what she said was not only presented credibly, was not only against her own interest. How does this help her as a, as a member of the Liberal Party to mm. do this? So she was doing this in adverse to her own interest. She was absolutely credible, meticulously accurate, 
surely it's all back. She was under oath. And for Trudeau to say, oh, yeah, uh, I remember it differently. She experienced it differently. Uh, you can believe her. I, I think she's hysterical. You know how girls can get. Uh, maybe it's just that time of the month. You know oh what I mean? God. You know what I mean? You know, girls. Girls. Oh, and, you know, and I'm not even kidding. Yeah. There was this press conference he had the other day. He referred to everyone else as mayor this and minister that. And Jody. <laughs> Jody. You know how those girls can be. <laughs> Jody. <laughs> I mean, come on. Who are you going to believe? Right? I mean, come on, guys. I mean. Uh, pals before gals, right? I mean, it was so lame. And I know that stuff works with his fraternity brothers from McGill. But he actually met, for the first time in his life, a woman who put principal and had a politics. And the funny thing is she was appointed by Trudeau as part of his gender quota. Yeah. Um, and if you look around at the other gender quota hires, they were women of no accomplishment. Yeah. Catherine McKenna, a social justice warrior. Miriam Monsef, really nothing other than lying on her refugee application. Right. Uh, Christy uh, Duncan actually fraudulently claimed to be a Nobel Prize winner <laughs> and wasn't. Bardis Chagger, I mean, the lack of accomplishment from his cabinet ministers echoes uh, like uh, the Grand Canyon. It is so hollow. But the one woman who actually had some achievement, especially on her own merit, was Jody Wilson-Raybould. But he expected her to be a happy window dressing like the rest of them are. Like there's, there's nothing, like they all stood in solidarity with Trudeau after it was revealed that he groped Rose Knight in Creston, BC in August of 2000. Um, but he finally found, we finally found a woman in his cabinet who decided that the truth and the rule of law was more important than the favor of the prince. And, and you know, I personally find that endearing, uh, Ezra. And I, one other thing though, with SNC-Lavalin, I want to get your opinion. Do you think they bluffed the Prime Minister on this file? They, allegedly, they had said that we're going to have to shut down Canadian operations move. This is a company that's been headquartered in Montreal for more than a century. And also, there's this idea, Ezra, that even though uh, Trudeau was, uh, um, you know, obstructing the law in this fashion, this would play well in Quebec because he was going to bat for Quebec jobs. I would say that the majority of Quebecers should also be and are probably appalled to see this kind of obstruction of justice too. And even if they had left Ezra, there are other smaller companies that do the work of SNC-Lavalin. Wouldn't the jobs go there? So I'm trying to understand why he put his neck out on the line so much for this company, which, as you said earlier, uh, has a checkered past, to say the least. <clears throat> well, Justin Trudeau is not famous for, for the art of the deal. He didn't write a book called The Art of the Deal. <laughs> yes. He's more into coloring books. Um, <clears throat> we know how good a negotiator Justin Trudeau is from uh, the Bombardier scandals. Basically, he announces in advance he's going to give them money, and then they tell him the terms upon which they'll take it. Yeah. It's, I mean, the man's not a good negotiator. So, I mean, I learned, for example, that one of the investors in SNC-Lavalin, the Quebec pension plan, Casey Dupont, uh, one of the conditions of their investment is that they keep their headquarters in Quebec till 2024. Mm. So they couldn't leave. It was a lie and a bluff, but listen, you don't have to really negotiate hard when Justin Trudeau's on the other side of the table. You just sort of actually just sort of say, here, you say this. We'll say this, and you say this. Yeah. And it's all a done deal. SNC-Lavalin, to their credit, registered all of their meetings with the lobbyist commissioner. They didn't hide the 53 meetings they had. To their credit, when they didn't get their way with the plea deal, the plea bargain, 
they appeal to a judge. That's actually how they're supposed to do it. I, I, weirdly, I mean, we don't know what was done secretly. We know in the past that SNC-Lavalin made illegal donations to the Liberal Party and, didn't, and the Liberals didn't pay it back till they were caught. So we know that there's corruption that, that is probably not yet uncovered. But as far as this plea deal being let off the hook for these crimes, it looks like SNC-Lavalin was trying to follow the rules mm. and the rule breakers weren't, in this case, SNC-Lavalin, but rather Pierre, uh, Justin Trudeau, Gerald Butts, Katie Telford, um, Ben Chin, Bill Morneau, and a dozen names that were named by Jody Wilson-Raybould. Incredible. Exit question, uh, Ezra. Um, I'm going to ask you to do a little crystal ball gazing. I know uh, October, uh, October 21st is an eternity away in terms of political time. But is this catastrophic or, or I remember two weeks ago when we first talked about this issue, you thought Justin Trudeau and the Liberals were going to skate from this. Mm. I think that was the word you used. Um, what's it going to be? I thought he would skate because all we had was, um, you know, s stories in the Globe and Mail referring to anonymous sources and some circumstantial evidence. I was convinced by it, but I, I don't take a lot of convincing to oppose Trudeau. But Jody Wilson-Raybould, her testimony was so compelling and she trumps Justin Trudeau on the ground that he normally likes to fight. He's a white male, she's a woman of color, aboriginal. He is notoriously light on facts and briefings. She it, did a master class of facts and the law. Um, so I think that in the, on the, on the uh, playing field that Trudeau prefers, Jody Wilson-Raybould can outdo him. I think everyone in their bones knows this is exactly what happened. I think we all sort of know Quebec and Quebec companies are corrupt. And that's not speculation when it comes to SNC-Lavalin. This just fits in so many ways. Yeah. And Trudeau's answers have been shallow and trite, uh, occasionally sexist. There's no way he can win this fight if she is willing to continue to destroy him. Um, I actually think there's a chance that he's going to resign. Wow. And the reason I say that is because his father was a dedicated public, uh, I'm not going to say public servant, but he was dedicated to public life. Uh, his father, Pierre Trudeau, was a law professor, a, a publisher of a magazine, um, a convener of conferences, um, an active cabinet. Like his father, Pierre Trudeau, who I disagree with on 99% of things. Actually, was a man of ideas and action in public life. Justin Trudeau is a privileged frat boy yeah. who basically toured the world um, in luxury for the first 40 years of his life. Never held down a real job. Uh, didn't get serious about anything. He once boasted he had, he had been to 90 countries as a tourist. Basically, four countries a year. He, he never did anything. He was always traveling. Yeah. And, and it was only when he turned 40, he thought, well, better, I better get a job. So, <laughs> and he, he's never, I mean, Stephen Harper was famous for reading every briefing note he got, for going deep on policy. Stephen Harper uh, knew every file. Um, Justin Trudeau doesn't. He doesn't pretend to. In fact, he told the ethics commissioner he just is into relationship building and other people handle the tough stuff. Yes. So Justin Trudeau is more a mascot. Gerald Butts was the de facto prime minister. Justin Trudeau would be the selfie guy. Other people would do the hard stuff. So if the fun is out of it, if the media no longer give him pure adulation, yep. 
if he's dogged by tough questions at his, when he likes to go to high schools because they're the easiest crowd for him, um, <laughs> when he's asked tough questions for the first time, when he's behind in the polls for the first time, when he can't get away with, hey, did I show you my new socks? Hey, I got these <laughs> socks. When that doesn't work anymore. Uh, I haven't seen Sophie in public with him in a long time. I don't yeah. think that part of his life is going well. I don't think he's having fun. Yeah. And he cares about fun. He cares about that jet set lifestyle. That's why he went to India on a private jet with a private chef and took his whole family in costumes. And that was really, like, he loves that part. But that's sort of off the table now. Yeah. Uh, he's in trouble. I think he never even really wanted to run in the first place. It was all for Gerald Butts and everyone around him. He did it. He said, look, I'll be the mascot. You do the PM stuff. I do the fun stuff. You do the brain stuff. I do the, the looking good stuff. And that all worked, but that's not working anymore. It wouldn't surprise me if he just said, you know what, I'm out of here. You know what? You might be right. The heat in the kitchen is now at a volcanic uh, temperature, and uh, maybe it's time for him to throw in the towel. That uh, resignation by uh, Justin Trudeau, that would be the ultimate exclamation point mm -hmm. on this incredible story. And folks, in the meantime, what is uh, Justin Trudeau doing? Well, yesterday he was in Quebec uh, talking about a moon base that uh, Canada's getting involved in. <laughs> on Monday, he's coming to Toronto to get involved in a climate change rally, because these are the important things facing Canada today. Wow. Don't keep your eye off this ball. There's lots more sordid stuff to come yet. And keep it here. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Now, back in January, we filed a routine access to information request with Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada. We file these things all the time. We were initially just looking for clarification on policies and procedures. Here's what we asked. Provide any copies of documents showing any tracking or monitoring done for any possible or alleged involvement in criminal or terrorist activity of Syrian refugees who have been brought to Canada since December 1st, 2015, all the way through to January 28th, 2019. Apparently, our simple request was so bothersome and so radioactive to the government that they actually had the assistant director of the Complex and Sensitive Issues Unit from Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada reply to us. And the reply is honestly pretty scary, you know, from a public safety point of view. Just look at this. Following a thorough search of our information holdings, I regret to inform you that no records were found that respond to your request. No records at all over three plus years. Now, we discovered in our exclusive access to information investigation back in 2018 that the bureaucrats at IRCC are no longer screening refugees for criminality in the countries they are applying for refugee status from. The directive to do so was dropped to help the Trudeau Liberals achieve their campaign quota promise of 25,000 refugees into Canada before the end of 2015. So how often have we been told that public safety trumps everything? And so it should, but apparently public safety has been put on the back burner when it comes to the Trudeau Liberals fulfilling their self-imposed quotas and timelines regarding the importation of Syrian refugees into Canada. And yeah, I know what you're thinking. What could possibly go wrong? Well, with more on this shocking story is the host of The Gun Show, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. 
Hey, David, thanks for having me on. It is always a pleasure, Sheila. But Sheila, I have to wonder, is there any nation anywhere else on this planet that is so downright cavalier in terms of national security as Canada is these days when it comes to vetting future citizens? Well, maybe Germany, maybe France, <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, we only have to look at them to see the problems that not vetting your refu refugees creates for you. Um, and, and I don't want to be Germany and France. I want to know exactly who we're letting into the country. I want to know that they're not breaking any laws and I don't care what laws. Just don't break any laws. But it's pretty clear that that's not a concern for immigration, refugees, and Citizenship Canada. And I thought it's kind of funny that the last part of that name of that agency is citizenship, which means, you know, following the laws of your country and having some sort of civic duty. And we're not making sure that that's the case. Well, Sheila, I think one of the key questions pertaining to your commentary is this. We, we followed that uh, access to information request, of course, and they said no records exist. Yeah. Do you believe that no records exist or are we just being uh, led around the mulberry bush here? I think it's about six of one half a dozen of another. I think there are probably records that exist, but they aren't good records. Um, I think they're problematic for the government and for the agency. Um, but I also think that they really don't have um, a lot of tracking of this. The, and this isn't just Syrian refugees. This is all refugees. Mm. Um, I don't think that they're tracking them appropriately. That's pretty clear because um, someone had sort of pointed out to me, well, maybe this is being done by um, Public Safety Canada. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but here's the thing, there's no communication then between these two agencies because um, the records still aren't popping up, so it's just not something that's of concern to Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada. And, and you know, Sheila, even if there was some intensive vetting being done, uh, I'll tell you the, uh, the point in your commentary that made my little neck hairs uh, stand up was that when you mentioned that story of how it was discovered that ISIS had the capability and the necessary machinery to actually manufacture uh, well, you know, excellent forgeries of Syrian passports. And I, I think that's really um, concerning because a passport is usually you know, the go-to document, that's your good housekeeping seal of approval, and yet we're discovering that these documents are being forged by the bad guys. I mean, what do you make of that, Sheila? Well, and it's not just being forged by the bad guys. It is being forged by the really, really bad guys for the even worse bad guys. Um, the um, terror attack yep. in France in 2015, uh, two of those people had with them these forged Syrian passports. And those Syrian passports were good enough to... Uh, for the French government to let those people into the country. So they are pretty darn good. Uh, Homeland Security has caught a couple of them, and they're obtaining these passports from ISIS operatives in places like Turkey and Lebanon and Jordan, where that's where Canada is getting the bulk of our refugees from. Um, they come from these camps and these safe havens in these other countries. So uh, we really don't know who we're getting. 
And secondarily, we've seen through other access to information requests that we've done just the complete and utter, utter failure of the vetting systems in place before people get to Canada. Hundreds of people have not had proper checks, some no checks whatsoever. We've seen people claiming to be families when it's just two fighting age brothers. Huh. Um, they even let somebody into the country who had actually fought um, in a terror group, but they claimed that it was sort of against their will and they were just like a gopher for a terror group. And I hate that when that happens to me too and I accidentally end up being like the gun runner for a terror group. Oh, but Sheila, the Trudeau Liberals have a solution to that. He'll be admitted to one of those poetry reading classes yes. uh, to get de-radicalized, <laughs> of course. But, and you know, and, and Sheila, lest anyone accuse us of fear-mongering, let us not forget the murder of Marissa Shen. Now, I know nothing's yeah. being proven in court, but the, the accused of that heinous crime is Ibrahim Ali, who is indeed a Syrian refugee. So, um, yeah, th there is definitely the potential for some really insidious people to get in uh, in the mix if you're not doing proper vetting. Well, and this is the day and age where it is not about the terror cell anymore. It's not um, a group that trains together to fly planes into a building. It is the time of the lone wolf attack. That's how um, ISIS seems to be most effective when they're making these terror attacks in the Western world, um, because there's no collusion for play agencies like Homeland Security to track the chatter. Uh, they just go and do it. They get radicalized online or however they're getting radicalized in their mosques or online, and they just go and do it. Yeah. Um, and that's why it's very important for us to be tracking these people after the fact, just not just for criminality, but for terrorist sympathies. And we're not doing that. You know, and Sheila, one last question. Uh, you know, what really grinds my gears about this, and I think for most uh, Canadians uh, watching this segment, and I'm speaking of law-abiding Canadian taxpayers that have never done anything wrong, you know, Sheila, that when we're just going on a vacation and flying out of an airport, how you have to line up you know, for all kinds of security. You, you pr practically have to do a strip tease taking off all this stuff. You have to have all your documentation. Every, you know, I has to be dotted and every T has to be crossed. You're not going anywhere. There's so much scrutiny on the makers, but basically not much or nothing when it comes to the takers. How do you square that circle, Sheila? David, I'm a gun owner, okay? I'm a gun owner. I have a restricted uh, license. So I know what this feels like because it, just, it doesn't just happen to me when I'm crossing the border or taking a flight. Every single day, including Christmas, my name is run through the CPIC database by the RCMP and I'm checked for criminality. Um, which means that the, the most law-abiding section of the Canadian population is actually legal registered gun owners. Um, and we are scrutinized every single day for criminality, um, but uh, the same isn't being done for people who've never set foot in this country before until the time that they got off a plane from somewhere like Jordan or Turkey. And it's not fair. Um, it, it treats the rest of society like it's the second-class citizen. Oh, Sheila. It, it Everything is just so upside down, I don't mm -hmm. even know where to begin dissecting. But great commentary as usual, my friend, and you have a good weekend.
You too, David. Thank you. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed in Alberta. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Spot on. This was a simple concept that I thought about even when I was 12 years old. If I wanted to be the best woman possible, I knew that being a good cook was part of that list. Every woman should know how to cook. My mother and my siblings appreciate me when I'm around and I can cook and we can all either bond in the kitchen or I can provide a meal. I mean, it's just such a magical thing. Patrick Wainis, a behavior expert, PhD, even explains why this works. So Alexander J.T. Cortez compiles a list pertaining to what makes women attractive and is then promptly lambasted. But why? After all, I'd wager most men would endorse many of the points found on that list, a document that basically asks women to be, <laughs> shudder the thought, feminine, you know, from wearing makeup and fashionable clothes to sporting long hair. Yeah, guys tend to like that. But check out the online shite storm this list has generated. One commentator writes, quote, how to be a beautiful man, don't be Alexander J.A. Cortez, end quote. And another one states, quote, horrifying that people with these sorts of beliefs actually exist outside of bad self-published fiction, end quote. Horrifying, gee, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? Joining me now with more on this list and the nutty reaction to it, is a woman who totally excels in the feminine department, and that would be Martina Marcota. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, Martina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's always a pleasure. But Martina, what's your take on the outrage Mr. Cortez has received? Is this yet another example of political correctness running amok in this day and age of Me Too? Yeah, um, I mean, I wanted to bring it up, actually, since you mentioned reactions. Let me try to find it. But, um, I mean, my reaction was that, like, it's a pretty good list. It's pretty accurate. Um, and, you know, I said in my in my video that it's it's a list. So you t it's short. And so I could see that these leftists are freaking out over it and thinking it's super misogynistic. But... If you really look at each of the points, they make sense. And uh, I brought like scientific and psychological studies into play with why each one of those is actually accurate. And uh, for example, be thin. I don't think he means like be stick thin. I mean, I'm not necessarily thin. I'm, I'm the original version of voluptuous, I would say. And uh, what I think he meant by that is be fit, you know, be physically active, be, uh, you know, healthy and, uh, being overweight and which is the opposite of being thin is uh, unattractive because it's it's not healthy and attraction is all about health and procreation so it's it's just innately understood with a man that like oh she's healthy she's yeah. attractive to me you, you know martina i, I agree I, I i thought that was the wrong choice of words he used uh if right. he uh, i mean we, we've had this discussion before uh Speaking as a heterosexual guy, uh, speaking with someone who knows several other heterosexual guys, the, the image of the supermodel that looks like an anorexic teenage boy, that is not attractive. So I, I hope he didn't mean thin in that way. I hope he meant in terms of uh, a woman having natural lovely curves as opposed to uh, being uh, obese. 
And as you know, right. we live in a day and age where even the fashion industry, some sectors are hiring obese models saying, hey, this is fantastic, be who you are. But being that way, it's it's not even healthy, is it? Right, exactly. It's it's um, more than just like, oh, you should accept women because beauty is in the eye beholder and blah, blah, blah. No, I mean, it's actually not true. It's... Uh, scientific we're attracted to health and to beauty for a certain reason and it's, it's it's only natural so you know but i did get some reactions i'm trying to find oh here we go uh, i have a one said um uh, shaking my head martina pathetic woman you are <laughs> it doesn't that doesn't even deserve comment but you know martina here's the thing i'm trying to square this circle here what he did with this checklist is certainly no different than what a multitude of women's magazines do the world over. Yeah. You know, the likes of Cosmopolitan, you know, how to be sexy, yeah. how, to, how to dress to the nines. I mean, why can they get away with it, but this gentleman cannot? It's because he's a man saying that, <laughs> you know? You can have a whole slew of women telling each other like, yes, you go girl, be fabulous you know, uh, here's the latest uh, lip injection or, or facial treatment you should try. And like, I mean, why do all these things? That's essentially what he's saying is look after yourself, you know, take care of yourself. None of, and all the things that he said, none of them were actually, um, you know, describing a specific woman. He wasn't saying be blonde or, you know, you have to be a certain height in order to be attractive, which, you know what, women require men to be. Women always want tall men, you know, and men can't control their heights. They can't control these things. But, you know, he's just saying pretty general things that aren't really grounded and written in stone. I mean, being feminine and, you know, all these things are, are anyone can really do. Um, and it's just a reminder to be as feminine as you can. And even though, like, listen to women thing, I mean, listen to men, it's not like listen to men and be their slave. It's It's more of like, no, like, listen to them sometimes, because men, empowered women, are so quick to brush men off and not listen to what they have to say, because they know more. And so I think it's really important to, to be attractive to a beautiful woman in the eyes of a man is, like, he feels listened to. Indeed. And, you know, Mar advice. Martina, e even if, um, I mean, these lists, of course, are always subjective by nature. And yeah. let's say he's not speaking for the entire um, a segment of men on the planet. The idea that this is what makes a woman attractive to him, uh, fair enough, maybe you disagree, that's fine too. But to label him a misogynist just for making this list, that simply does not compute with me, Martina. Yeah, no, I mean, it's incredibly, uh, it's a dog standard for sure. And I mean, this, this we're just seeing it more and more. We all know how how the feminists and how the leftists act, it's always a legal standard. They can go and call men short or say you have a small penis or, you know, do all sorts of stuff, and that's perfectly acceptable. But God forbid a guy just make a list and say, hey, this is my list. And yeah, certainly I'm not a really big pink person. I like black. I'm not into the gothic look. So, I, you know, I don't even fit everything on the list, but I'm not offended by it. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Well, Martina, we have to wrap here. And you said at the end of your commentary that um, what would you add to that list? So as a guy, I think the one thing he missed was that 
um, a woman should be able to drive stick shift. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, Can you drive a manual car, Martina? I actually don't have a driver's license at oh, all. Oh, no. Never had one. <laughs> oh, you're so close. City. You solve that problem, then you are indeed the perfect woman. Don't listen to what those trolls are saying to you. Martina, thanks again for another entertaining commentary. Thanks for having me. You got it. And that was Martina Marcota over in London. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. According to a CTV report, Amy now lives at a refugee camp in eastern Syria, which I'm sure is almost as groovy as snagging the presidential suite at the Toronto Radisson East these days. And folks, you'll never believe this, but Amy seems to be suffering from buyer's remorse. Apparently Canada, despite being absolutely infested with infidels, well, Canada isn't such a bad place after all. Yes, apparently for little Dorothy, or I mean Amy, there's no place like home and she wants to come back to our little dominion, even though snagging a pair of ruby slippers are really hard to come by in a Syrian refugee camp these days. Nevertheless, Amy says, quote, I think I should be allowed to go home. I don't believe I did anything wrong. I didn't kill nobody, end quote. Ooh, ouch. That last sentence was a double negative which is to say if she didn't kill nobody, that means she did kill somebody. Well, what do you know? Seems that Amy of Arabia, or I mean Amy of Alberta, is really regretting joining ISIS. She's already had two husbands dispatched to the suite hereafter, given the occupational hazards associated with terrorism. And so it is that Amy wants passage back to Wild Rose country. The question is, will her wish come true? In any event, here's what some of you had to say about Amy's realization that Canada isn't such a horrible place to bring up Junior after all. Sharon Kalina writes, Let her stay. She made her bed. No mercy. Death becomes her. Well, she can indeed rot in Syria as far as I'm concerned. She decided to pledge allegiance to the enemy after all, but I do have a measure of compassion for the child she will soon give birth to. That child needs to be removed from someone who is obviously an unfit mother and brought up by a family that is not radicalized. As for Amy, sorry, but you reap what you sow. Peter John DeJong writes, The entitlement of the Sharia-abiding Muslim jihadis is beyond imagination. Yes, Peter, there is a huge measure of chutzpah here, but what's even worse is how the Trudeau liberals encourage this entitlement. Kyle Martin writes, Justin will let her come back as long as she goes to the poetry classes that he wants returning ISIS fighters to attend. Don't worry, that will fix everything. <coughs> Indeed, Kyle, but you know, I'd pay a dollar to sit in on some of those poetry classes. I mean, can you imagine the brainstorming sessions? Hey, Ahmed, what rhymes with beheading? Holy hickory dickory dock. Chateau Caddy writes, the U.S. is having the same problem with these women wanting to come back who are pregnant or with children of dead terrorists. But the only reason they want to come back is not because their husbands are dead, they would just marry another terrorist. It's because they're losing the war and there is no more caliphate. They were abandoned and most of them have been captured and are in refugee camps. Well, you know, you're right, Chateau Caddy, and it's so downright pathetic, isn't it? 
They go overseas embracing a fantasy of establishing an Islamo-fascist state only to find themselves eventually residing in a proverbial shite hole. And that's when all of a sudden, all those Western democracies they left behind don't look too bad after all, even with all the inherent infidels. <laughs> like I said, pathetic. And Diamond Dust writes, I'm guessing Trudeau will invite all those other jihadi brides and their children around the world that have not been allowed home to their respective countries to make their home in Canada. I will actually be surprised if he doesn't. Indeed, it was Justin Trudeau who noted that a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And if you're not a Canadian, well, heck, just waltz into Canada illegally and become a Canadian. This sure bodes well for our country's future now, doesn't it? Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.